Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and today I'm delighted to be discussing nonviolent communication, truthfulness, and right speech as a way to support and create connection in our lives. I'm joined today by Judith Lassiter, PhD. Judith has a um, background in East-West psychology. She's a physical therapist and has taught yoga since 1971. She's a founder of Yoga Journal Magazine, as well as the California Yoga Teachers Association, of which she is President Emeritus. She has studied directly with Marshall Rosenberg and has been sharing his nonviolent communication for years, incorporating her study of yoga philosophy into her nonviolent communication teaching. She's the author of 11 books on yoga, the current book that we're going to be discussing today is What We Say Matters, Practicing Nonviolent Communication. She's also, also the author of uh, many other books on yoga. You can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Judith Hanson Lassiter, and you can also find her website, judithhansonlassiter.com. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Judith. I'm, I'm delighted to be able to talk with you today and discuss your, I think, really important book, What We Say Matters, which you wrote with your then-husband, Ike Lassiter. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Laurel, so much for having me. It's kind of ironic to be talking about talking. But <laughs> very meta. <laughs> very meta. But <laughs> communication is what human beings do mm -hmm. or don't do so well and is a very important aspect, not just of our daily life, but of our spiritual practice. How do we talk to ourselves first? And then how do we talk to others with what values, with what intention? Yes, that is absolutely um, amazing and why we wanted to have you on the show. But before we dive in further into our dialogue about what we say matters, let's begin with a moment of contemplation, a yoga moment. Oh. So let's begin right where we are, whatever we're doing whether we're sitting or standing, walking, driving, let's bring our attention to our body, just feeling our body in space. And in particular, feeling the surfaces that are supporting our weight. What parts of our body are in contact with that surface? Where are our feet? And then turning our attention to the breath, just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, the next inhale, and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how warm the air is as it flows out. And then continuing to focus on our breath, 
not trying to change it, just noticing the natural flow. Here's something to contemplate. From Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. We cannot control the thoughts that enter the stream of the mind. However, we do have a choice about what we will dwell on, what we will believe, what we will act on, and what we will allow to remain. Spiritual mastery begins with these choices. We cannot control the thoughts that enter the stream of the mind. However, we do have a choice about what we will dwell on, what we will believe, what we will act on, and what we will allow to remain. Spiritual mastery begins with these choices. Once again, welcome to the Yoga Hour, Judith Lassiter. I am really delighted to have you here to talk about your book, What We Say Matters, which you published, I believe, initially in 2009 and then recently came out with a revised edition. I love how you combined nonviolent communication with the yoga principle of truthfulness, or satya, as well as the Buddhist principle of right speech. In the preface, you write, about the book, What We Say Matters attempts to offer our readers a way to make speech first about self-awareness and then about empathy for self and others. When we choose to bring these qualities into our daily lives, into our family relationships, or into our teaching of yoga, everything changes. We feel more connected to ourselves and those closest to us. Would you say more about what inspired you to write the book and perhaps what inspired you to make the revised edition that you just made available? Well, initially what inspired me, and there were many streams feeding that lake, was meeting Marsha Rosenberg 20 some odd years ago. And my husband, my then husband, wanted me to go to a, a workshop with him. I think it was a one or two day workshop to begin. I did eventually do nine, some of which were eight days or nine days long. But I remember going there and and, and if we're a yoga teacher or a person like you, I'm not, who works in, with speech, um, it's very, it's doubly important that we, we're aware of our speech. So I, I went to this workshop and I remember feeling so moved by, by the way he talked, but I had no idea what he was doing. Like, what is he doing? I feel so good. I feel so present. Like, wh what is he doing? It just, I can't <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. And so I began to study it further and read his book and study with him whenever I could. And it began to make such a difference in my communication with my teenage children, which <laughs> anything that does that is a blessing straight from God. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I liked so much what happened. And I'd like to tell you a little story about the first time I, be I used a, uh, 
this technique, this way of being, I think of it now in, in teaching. Would you, would you like to hear that story? Yes, please. I, I was invited to teach for the first time out of state. I mean, I taught out of state, but specifically my relax and renew restorative yoga tra- teacher training. So I was in another state uh, and teaching a large group of people who wanted to learn, as I say, how to do nothing without <laughs> a rest. A very un-American, this doing nothing thing. Right. And I was, I mentioned in what I believe to be the broadest terms. Now, one of the principles of nonviolent communication is communication is not about what I say, Laurel. It's about what you hear. Right. And those two things often don't match up. We usually call that a relationship. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So... I'm, I'm, I made a very general statement in my, in my memory, in my opinion, my world of view about the boundaries and, and the need for us as yoga teachers to pay attention to the ethics and bring it into our relationship with our students. Something very broad like that. Right. And a woman sitting two thirds of the way back started to cry mm-hmm. and People gave her Kleenex and then she raised her hand. She said, and she said, and I will never forget these words as long as I live. I can't believe you said that about my guru. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Like, A, I have no idea she had a guru. B, I had no idea who she was talking about. C, I distinctly Remember, I didn't say any guru's name because I, and I know this clearly, your honor, as I testify before the jury, <laughs> right. that I try very much not to mention other teachers from the mat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I occasionally mention my teacher because Iyengar taught me this, but I don't talk and people ask me that, well, my teacher so-and-so and he or she says to do it this way and you're saying it to do it another way. And I, and I always say, I, I don't know why they're teaching that, but let me tell you why I'm teaching it this way. I mean, I'm very respectful. This is, this is a choice I made a long time ago and I'm quite happy with. Yeah. So I thought what, and my first response as it is, it, as it is in all of us, most of us all the time is to defend myself and say what I didn't say anything about. And then, then we could get in an argument about whether I said that or not. And that would take us off track. Right. You know, it's like if I say to you, it's hot in here and you say, no, it's not. And then where are we? We're off to the races. Right. So I I was just spinning in my mind and I thought, okay, okay, okay. NVC. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, And so I first gave myself a little empathy and then can talk more about what that means. And then I gave her empathy, which was to reflect back what I was guessing she was saying. So I said to her something very much like, so you you want us all, I'm guessing you all want, you want all of us to know how important your guru is to you and how important it is to you that, that we respect your guru. And she kind of brightened up and stopped crying. And I said two or three times more in, general terms very similar just reflecting back what I heard well I think I heard you say how much this relationship means to you yes yes and two or three things like that 
And she stopped crying and the energy in the room just settled. As you well know how that, you know, how that feels. And we went right on with the class and I'm like, okay. And several people in the class said, gosh, I really liked how you handled it. And I just sort of looked at them like, if you only knew that I was clinging on by my fingernails. Right. Uh, and so the, the, the caveat to this and the point of this long story is at the end of the workshop, the you know, people came up to say goodbye and thank you as they often very kindly do. And she came up and she said, looked at me all happy. And she said, this is the best workshop I ever took. Well, that sort of surprised me. Right. And she said, can I give you a hug? And I said, okay. And she did. And then she looked at me and she said these words. And thank you for apologizing about what you said about my guru. <laughs> I never apologized. I never said I'm sorry or because I had no idea what she was talking wow. about initially. Do you see the irony of that? Yeah. <laughs> and so my brain, my ego brain wanted to say, but I never apologized. <laughs> but instead, there was there was a modicum of wisdom that popped forward. And I just looked at her and I said, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, yeah. and she left. Yeah. And that whole communication was so enlightening to me. Right. And that was one of the reasons I began to think about a book. Ah. Uh, I knew I wasn't ready at that point, but that I love to write and I mm. I've written poems as well. And what in one of my poems, there's a line which say, words are my paintbrushes. Mm. So I, yeah. I think first and foremost, if you're a teacher of anything, certainly yoga, that we need to acknowledge and be aware of the fact that number one thing is communicate if we can't communicate. But anyway, what do you think of that story? Is that interesting, don't you think? Real, really interesting and kind of leads me to the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is you write in the book about how, about the power of our speech and how speech changes the world. And to me, that was such a powerful thing to read and to think about how our speech changes the world. It also seemed very in line, you know, with the yoga teachings. So would you say a bit more about that, how our speech changes the world? And perhaps even the example you just gave is a way that speech changes the world. Well, that was the first thing my, I was going to respond with is that in that moment, there was when she was upset, there was a lot of tension in a relaxation workshop. <laughs> there was right. a lot of social tension in the classroom. And I believe our job as teachers is to hold a classroom as a sacred space mm -hmm. in, in which there is respect and, and presence and honesty and clarity and safety as much as possible. I tell my students, you know, I don't want to push you physically, but I want you to, when you practice is to find for yourself where your line is and then back up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's right for you in this moment, which is not going to be the same every time you practice, but I am going to stir your pot. I want you to think new ways in about new, about old things. Right. You know, and I, I want to stimulate you 
to open to other ways of thinking about your practice and your life. And, and this, this is where the, we open that door as a potential for growth. So, but the other thing I was going to say is that our words already change the world. Yes. And the question is, are they going to be, are we going to do that consciously or unconsciously? When we stand up, it can be just standing up or it can be Tadasana. Like what makes a yoga pose is the intention behind it. Right. And Tadasana, for those who may not um, be as familiar with the Sanskrit terms, is the mountain pose, the standing mountain pose. Conscious standing up, rooted in the earth with our heart in the heavens. And like the mountain, reaching for the heavens, but rooted in the earth is a way to live our lives, I believe. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. So you write in the book that about spiritual speech, and this is part I really enjoyed, and you um, talk about how spiritual speech combines the yoga practice of truthfulness, which is one of yoga's ethical principles or yamas, and in spiritual speech, the combine the combination is between that practice of truthfulness, the Buddhist principle of right speech, and then Dr. Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication. Would you say more about how you came to this idea of spiritual speech and perhaps what you what you find the importance of? Well, I I don't know if you studied a foreign language in school, did you? Yes. Spanish. Yes. Bueno. Yo también. <laughs> so what I realized when I studied Spanish was it helped me understand English grammar by the comparison. Right. And did you did you experience something like that? Oh, yes. Definitely. Yes. Except when you get to the subjunctive and then that's so hard. <laughs> Spanish and try to right. figure out what that means in English. But so... When, when I heard and studied uh, nonviolent communication, I realized that it was compassion in action, that it was, it suddenly brightened my understanding of what it means to quote, tell the truth, what it means to use as our Buddhist friends say, right speech, because this, the, the ancient texts and the wisdom say is tell us satya, you know, which actually means sought truth and ya actively becoming. Mm-hmm. We are just to speak the truth, but to become it. And this, uh, but ha- but how do you do that? What does that sound like right now for me? What does rights? What is right speech in this moment? And when I studied by comparison nonviolent communication, it hit me in what I like to call a blinding flash of the obvious, that here was a technique. It's almost like someone comes to your yoga class and they say, I want to learn yoga. And you say, well, okay, just practice the asana. And what what they need to hear is stand on your mat, turn your left foot in, your right foot out, trikonasana, triangle pose, stretch your arms, inhale your breath. You know, they need a little technique, a little leading. And so for me, nonviolent communication was a, was it more concrete manifestation of how do you do it? How do you live it? Mm-hmm. And it was a light bulb moment. Right. 
I appreciated in the book how you talk about satya, this um, truthfulness, this this one of the five ethical principles, and how you talk about the the fact that it tells you what not to do. So like what not to, um, you know, not yeah. to lies, certainly that, you know, kind of that kind of thing, but it doesn't then tell you how to, to do it. Exactly. Um, turn, and turn your left foot in your right foot out level right. of understanding. Exactly. Right. And that you found that in this, the principles of nonviolent communication. So I thought, I thought that was really lovely. I wanted to touch on the first of the yamas, the Sanskrit word ahimsa, which is harmlessness kindness, nonviolence. And again, that's the first and the most overarching of the ethical principles in yoga philosophy. And, and you write about the relationship between harmlessness and truthfulness. You write, we can never tell the truth if we ignore the foundational practice of non-harming. Um, these first two ethical principles, harmlessness and truthfulness, can sometimes seem to be in conflict with each other. Would you say more about that, about yeah. the conflict, potential conflict, and, and about the practice of being truthful when we are also concerned that being truthful might hurt someone? All right, let's back way up. Let's slow way down because I'm chomping at the bit to take this on, but I wanna, I wanna slow it down. I wanna back up a little bit. Ahimsa, uh, himsa means lion, uh means not. Don't be like a lion, mm -hmm. non-harming. Uh, nonviolence. Uh, so I agree with you that ahimsa, if, if we study nothing more than that mm. from traditional yoga teaching, if we attempt to live that, everything else flows from that. And the Dalai Lama has said, when you just be kind, mm -hmm. when, and this is something that I have fallen back on so many times when I'm just swirling in conflict and emotion and it's like, okay, what is kindness in this moment? Maybe it's to shut up and sit down. <laughs> Maybe it's to remove myself. Maybe it's, you know, to breathe with awareness. It, it has no, it, it has no uh, absolute answer. But for me, when I studied nonviolent communication, the, the first stepping stone to this study is self-empathy. And that to me is ahimsa. Mm. So let, let me just say this about when I go to teach yoga, and I don't mean just asana, but yoga. Yeah. And I walk in the class and I give a little bow to the students. I sit down and then we always start with one minute of silence in any context human beings understand one minute of silence as a disconnect from getting there as a as a way of being there and it doesn't have to have even be called meditation it can just be called one minute of silence right. so during that one minute of silence one of the things i ask myself as the teacher is what is alive in me right now? That's the first question I ask myself, not what am I going to teach? Or who's that new person over there? Or should we open the windows or close them? Or, you know, none of those things. It's what's alive in me. And, and the answer is not important. 
See, I believe the most important questions, the answer isn't important. It's the question that's important. Right. Because when I say what's alive in me right now, the answer could be I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm happy, I'm tired, I'm bored, I'm irritated, I'm hungry, I'm sleepy. It does not matter what that is. But what does matter is unless I'm in touch with that, I'm self-reflective and I give myself empathy for that, which we can talk about what that means, what that means to give oneself empathy. If you make a note, you can ask me that next if you would. But then I'm in touch with me because there is no way I could do the second goal I have is be connected with you. Mm -hmm. If I'm not aware of what's arising in this location, right now, without judgment, but with empathy for what's going on with this human form, lives in the human world of of form, there is no way I I can be present with you. So I must first be present with myself, regardless of what is arising, without fighting with the present moment and saying, oh, I show yoga teacher shouldn't be irritated or impatient or whatever. Right. As soon as I say, oh, right now I'm just feeling impatient. There is now a freedom that is nurtured. And that impatience is just what's arising without judgment. And then I'm in the space I want to be in. And the last thing on my list, because I'm a Pitta dosha, if you know about that, right. and Ayurveda, I always have a list. That's the sign of Pitta. We always have a list. So my my last thing is, you know, teaching the technique, whether it's anatomy and kinesiology or philosophy or asana or whatever, that's the least important thing. And when I first started teaching back in 1971, I those were completely reversed. I thought the most important thing was imparting information and I didn't matter. Right. And so this is the hallmark of nonviolent communication. It's the first thing I teach people is to be present with, just as you you said before, where where do you feel the weight? Mm -hmm. What is the sensation of breath? Mm -hmm. You know, this is grounding. And grounding always means the same thing, presence. Mm-hmm. So I that's asked- lovely. And then I'll come back to what you asked me to ask you next, <laughs> which is about, about self-empathy. So what else would you like to say about self-empathy? All right. We can, we can, this, I believe, self-empathy should be, the, should be, quote unquote, could be our default reaction to every ruffle. And what I mean by a ruffle is the eye rolling thing. Like you're trying to park and you're starting to back up to parallel park and someone zooms in behind you and takes your parking place and you just go, really? (laughs) I'm not talking about the things like war and racism and child abuse. I mean, those things of course, need to ruffle us. I'm talking in a very pragmatic, practical, day-to-day, 
living my life in the in the in the place where I live, in the city where I live, in the body where I live, in the family where I live, noticing being present with the ruffles as they arise mm-hmm. and saying, oh, how human of me is a way that I make for myself this phrase, how human of me is a shorthand for giving myself empathy, which in a longer form would say, right now you're very attached and want very much to get an easy parking place because you have a heavy box to carry. And and so you're feeling a little irritated because that was so close and then it was suddenly taken away. But instead of going through all that, because I've done that for years, I now simply say, and I think our listeners would enjoy how human of me to feel irritated right now. And already by just saying that, Laurel, we're beginning to let go of the of the ruffle. And what has happened with me practicing this over years is there's like, it used to be ruffle and then like 10 minutes later, oh yeah, this NBC stuff. Now <laughs> it's like ruffle, all right, how human of me. That's Excellent. right. And then it's done. Then it's done. And and when we give ourselves self-empathy and we and we can do it, start with the simple things like that. And then it can be over resentment we have about our father or an incident that happened years ago. And we begin to give ourselves empathy first about that. Of course, you were felt afraid when that happened. You were five years old. Right. How human of you. Right. And when we do that, we find we're no longer talking about those things at a cocktail party or a dinner party five years later, still <laughs> agitated, telling the story again and again. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And I always really love to give listeners a little something. And so that's a great start on what would give listeners this conversation. How human of me. As a reminder, I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of The Yoga Hour. Today, I'm here with Judith Hansen Lassiter, the author of the book we're discussing today, What We Say Matters. You can find out more about Judith Hansen Lassiter at her website of that name, Judith Hansen, H-A-N-S-O-N, Lassiter, L-A-S-A-T-E-R, judithhansenlassiter.com. We'll also post the links to her website on our website, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Uh, Laurel, could I could I say that um, in February, with another yoga teacher named Elena Brower, who some U.S. students and others may know, we're, she and I did a eight week training called Difficult Conversations mm-hmm. on Zoom on uh, NVC, and we're doing another one starting in February. It will be posted soon on my website calendar. And we had such fun talking to people all over the world and together learning how to choose speech that helps us get what we want. Right, right. No, that that's great. One of the things I wanted to ask about is, um, is this idea of identifying our own needs, which I know is part of the nonviolent communication process. You write about the fact that unless we connect with our own needs, we are unlikely to be able to connect to others. Yet we are often not supported in learning how to be in touch with our own needs. 
Um, would you share how identifying, identifying our own needs um, you think is important and affects our ability to use spiritual speech in the way that we're talking about? All right. So now we're getting into the idea of, of how to give ourselves empathy, which I think is the first step. So the first thing is, is we make an observation. Right now I'm feeling in this moment, and we make an observation about when I think about what he said, or when I when I see her take my parking place, or I hear him say this, and there's no judgment in that. It's just, we know that event that happened. So we don't have to say it so specifically to ourselves inside our own consciousness, because we know when I heard Laurel say X, I felt really happy because my need for connection was met. All right. So that's kind of the whole training wheels, learning sentence. So the first thing is the self-reflection, the observation. Then we have, before we get to needs, we need not to skip over feeling. When I think of what he said yesterday, I feel hurt or angry or confused or sad. And, and he didn't make me feel sad. Right. No, Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know, no one can make you feel inferior without your cooperation. She was a former first lady in the United States in the forties. And no one can make you feel anything. Nothing, no one can make you feel anything. Feelings arise spontaneously in the human being. So I was in an elevator in uh, New York City going down to teach a yoga class at a yoga journal conference years ago. And on the elevator was a man dressed in all black with a black trench coat with the collar turned up and a black hat carrying a black briefcase. And he did not say one word to me. He did not look at me. He did not threaten me in any way. But the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Hmm. And... So I pushed another button and got off. I had to stay on the elevator with him. And then I, because I trust my gut, where intuition lives in the gut, right? That knowing yeah. sense. I went downstairs to the desk and this is this is the part I celebrate. I actually trusted my intuition enough to say to the people at the desk and and listen to this language. I was on an elevator just now with a man with a man dressed all in black and I felt uneasy in his presence. I did not say he made me feel uneasy. I felt uneasy in his presence because you might have been on the elevator and thought he was the coolest guy and started talking to him. Right. So he didn't do this. It arose in me. I I felt uneasy and they just looked at me and they said, give us a description. It turns out they said, that's that man has been breaking into rooms, stealing things. Mm. And so I'm really glad I told them, but, da, da, da. but the point of the story is my language. Right. You made me mad. No, you didn't. I felt angry when you said, mm-hmm. do, you, do you hear the difference? Yes. All right. So now we get to needs. Needs are not about being needy. So first, let's get rid of that bugaboo. Needs are universal and human. 
So we could take Maslow's hierarchy, M-A-S-L-O-W is a psychologist, very famous one. Um, air is our number one need. Yeah. Water, food, right. shelter, clothing. And then the, the needs in Maslow's hi hierarchy go all the way up to spiritual evolution. <laughs> you know, so, so needs are human. They're normal and they're everyone has the same needs it, and there's a, a debate as there are in all communities whether it's buddhist yoga or nonviolent communication or whatever about how many needs there are people some people say there's 10 needs and everything else is a variation other people say there's dozens of needs there's you can read about this on uh nvc.org you can look at lists of needs in the book there's their suggestions and we have needs for respect, for care, for nurturing, uh, to share, to be, you know, to be seen and heard. And so when, when I, when I heard, this is the sentence now back to the sentence, when I remember what he said yesterday, I feel hurt because my need for respect was not met. Then if we're, that's giving ourselves, oh, what I really wanted was respect in that moment, how human right. of me. And then I begin to heal it within myself before I ever speak to him, which is the last part, which is to, to make a request of the other person. But let's just stay where we are. And let me tell you, if I may, an, another short story. Sure. I'm driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. On my left is the view of the beautiful hilly city of San Francisco in a sparkling bay. And to the right is the vast Pacific Ocean. If I just went that way, I'd be in China, right? So I'm in this beautiful bridge, which is the iconic bridge of our city. We love it. And I'm driving across the bridge. And am I enjoying the beautiful day? No, I'm thinking about what somebody said to me the other day. And how could he, and the, 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 the conversation I'm having with myself. I mean, everyone, I like to make this joke. Everyone hears voices. <laughs> usually, usually it's mine telling me what an idiot I am. Right. So, so I'm thinking, you know, and, and I'm internally scowling and judging and I'm saying, how can he say that to me? Who does he think he is? And I realized, I thought, oh yeah, this NVC stuff. And I noticed that that was in my head. It was, it was thought associated. Right. And I thought, let me just go into my belly and the belly is feeling associated. Right. And when I went down into my belly, I felt hurt. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, I was hurt. How interesting. And then up it comes again and I'm in my head and I'm, and I just played with that all the way across the bridge. Luckily there were not many cars on the bridge. I was, but I, I knew, noticed that when I went up to my head, I was angry and defensive. But when I went underneath, I got in touch with the fact that I was hurt and my need for respect was not met. Right. right. And then I shifted. I shifted. I went, oh, that's what was happening to me. And then at that moment, I have the most important thing any human being can have, which is choice. Mm -hmm. Am I do am I settled with it now? Do I keep giving myself empathy and, and paying attention to what needs were not met? Mm 
Do I talk to that other person and say, in some way, this is shorthand, my need wasn't met. How can we work this out in a way that da 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 whatever, what my strategy is, is, is the last thing to do. I may be done. I may have processed it. Right. But I need first to know exactly. Oh, and you'll know if you read the feelings list, you'll go, aha. That's what it is. And there's a literal physical sense of that. And right. then the need, the, the natural, normal, universal human need is is recognized. There is a deep satisfaction in that. Mm-hmm. It's like your gut <clears throat> was trying to tell you something and you hadn't heard the message yet. And so it, it kept it kept going. Knocking on the door. Right, right. But well, instead, what we do is we call all our girlfriends on our cell phone and we tell them about this horrible thing that happened. And yes, and then they commiserate with us and say, yes, that was horrible. And then where are we? Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> Which, you know, if we're getting back to the yoga principles of harmlessness, you know, I, I um, you know, reflecting on this often about what am I doing with my speech and is my speech harmful? Um, I think it's just such a great practice to be aware of it on that on that level. Um, so the the incorporation of the yoga practice that's set forth in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, um, Pada two, the first verse about the three practices of Kriya Yoga being um, self study, self discipline, and self surrender. So this what's so great about this is it incorporates that self study where everything you just mentioned that in that story was about self study. You were trying to figure out you know what was the you know what was the message that your gut was trying to give you, and then the self discipline then of like incorporating that the next Anything time. Anything to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, tapas, that, that's what tapas Svadhyaya Ishwara Pranadanaha is the sutra that you quote. Right. And and I can I just say a, a, go on a very slight path to step away a little bit from our main main freeway <laughs> conversation. Sure. Is tapas, I think, is often talked about discipline. And discipline, I have a sort of a view on it. I'm not saying this is right, but I'd like to share with people and they can contemplate it. Discipline to me evokes, you're going to sit down at that piano young lady and you're not getting up for 30 minutes. Like discipline <laughs> to me is either someone, it's someone else's voice in my head. Right. I should get on my yoga mat for 30 minutes a day, an hour a day. I should, I should, I should. And it's from an external source. But what I, how I like to interpret the word tapas, from top to burn, which means to burn in the Sanskrit root verb is consistency. Mm-hmm. So consistency is the highest form of discipline. That's a Judith quote. Yeah. So when I, I get on my mat, I may get on there for five minutes. I may get on there for 30 minutes or an hour. But but the fact that I stand by my mat, I inhale my breath, I exhale, I step on my mat, and I now step into the sacred practice space of my mat. That is the victory. And it might be one, five minutes, might be not very long. It's not about some form or someone else's view. Mm-hmm. And what I find with that is there's a softness there. And I stop fighting with myself about the should word. Mm-hmm. Because li- literally, totally and truthfully, 
if I can live in the present for one moment, that changes my day. So do you like that idea about consistency? Because consistency is very difficult. I mean, yeah, I I know sometimes I get in bed and I forget to brush my teeth. And at my age, oral hygiene is a major life event. Like it's <laughs> not just brushing. It's there's a little brush. Then there's this other dental thing that goes between. Then there's flossing. Then there's brushing. Then there's a swishing thing of that water. I mean, yeah, made, you know, oral hygiene is a major part of my life. Right. And I get in bed and I think, oh my God, the dentist is going to know that I, I I have to get up. And and it's just that consistency is difficult. That's the that's the that's the challenge. Yes. Do I do I remember to be present in every moment, standing in the grocery line, driving on the freeway, mm-hmm. listening to you talk mm-hmm. and your wisdom? Uh, you know that's that's what I think tapas is. Right. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. And for me, uh, when I think about the the self-discipline piece, um, I think about it more, my teacher, Alan Grace O'Brien talks about it this way. It's, it's kind of doing what you, you're, um, what you are doing to live in the highest way. So doing what makes your soul happy that kind of thing. And so if, if, if you like, for example, this idea about gossip, and we all know that gossip can be really harmful and it can change the world. You know, you put it out there and, you know, before you know it, perhaps the person that you're gossiping about hears about that, you know, from someone else. And it's it just, it's something that I, you know, prefer. it's not a him. So let's put it that way. Well, exactly. And I really like to not do it. And sometimes, Judith, I'm in you a do conversation. It it's fun. <laughs> I, I'm in a conversation and I totally get where this idea of the word tapas, the Sanskrit word for self-discipline, comes from. And because it has to do, as you said, with burning. Have you ever like you wanted to say something and you wanted to say something and you want, but you really didn't. Like on a deeper level, you didn't, but you kind of did. <laughs> Yes, exactly. No, that and that's the burn. I mean, I, I really, I was like, oh, those ancient yoga masters were really onto something when they when they named it tapas because it, yes, it kind of burns, yeah. you know. <laughs> because it's it's you're making a choice there, and you're making a difficult choice. You're turning a battleship at sea. You're stepping right. out of your habit pattern. Right. And even though there's an ego wants you to do it, there's a larger, bigger, wiser part of you that and self-reflective part of you that understands the harm that it's ahimsa. Everything gets back to ahimsa, that the potential harm of that. And right. so that's a great time to say how human of me mm-hmm. that I that I want to do this right. because it builds my ego. And I know something that you don't know, and I can't wait right. to tell you. Uh, so. One of the things that I do every January 1st is I create two intentions. I don't call them resolutions, but intentions for my life. And one is for the planet. Mm. And one year I did fill my car up once a month, which I could do because I I, I can walk most places. And I'm not driving kids to 4,000 soccer practices, ballet classes, play practice, rehearsal, blah, blah, blah. So anymore. So that was one. And then I, I do one for myself, my personal growth. I mean, it might, one year it was just like floss twice a day. And, but it's, it's different things. And I, I once 
recently, a few years ago, met a Rinpoche and went to a went to a, a small gathering and he was going to talk to us about meditation. And I was wearing my go to see the Rinpoche outfit, my long tunic in a dark color with a little Chinese collar, Mandarin collar and my black, loose black pants and my Tai Chi shoes. I was all ready to meet the Rinpoche. And uh, I sat down and he said, I'm, I want to teach you to meditate. And my ego just went, okay, I know that. And he said two or three, like sit, you know, drop the chain, close your, take a breath, you know, the things we all know. Right. And then he said the following statement and leave your mind alone. Mm -hmm. And literally that hit me like the proverbial ton of bricks. And I'm pretty well behaved. I mean, Laurel, you can take me like to meet your mother or somewhere, (laughs) you know, and I'll pretty much behave and I won't act up too much. And I started to laugh and it was not like a little (laughs) quiet laugh. I mean, I leaned back, I threw back my head and I laughed so hard. And then he laughed and then the other 20 people there laughed. And then (laughs) I stopped laughing. He stopped. And this went around three rounds because Laurel, I never leave my mind alone. I'm, 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 uh arguing with it i'm i'm controlling it i'm praising it i'm ignoring it i'm tussling i'm just like so that was one of my intentions is to leave my mind alone right and that's really what we're talking about with nonviolent communication is that willingness to step into self-reflection and to observe and what you did i believe and this is what we we do we we let ourselves be present with the intention with which we speak. Okay. What, what is the reason I'm speaking at all? To get a need of mine met, mommy, I'm hungry. You know, your child says. Or we high as we get as we get older, we become more sophisticated. And if you look up sophisticated in the dictionary, it says changed. Like so we hide our needs in our speech. And what nonviolent communication teaches us is to be aware of what our the observation we're making, the feelings that was associated with that, and the need of ours, which was met or unmet. So we can also say in nonviolent communication to someone, and this is a homework. I'd like to give you all that you can do immediately in your in your personal life with your roommates, your spouse, your family, your sister, your best friend, whatever, someone close to you, is how you can appreciate them for something that they have done or said. Mm. And it sounds like this. When I came home and saw that the kitchen was cleaned up, I felt so relieved and I want you to hear with your heart. Not only did I see that, but I, I felt seen and heard and loved. Tell the person what they did or said that made your life more wonderful. Don't worry so much about the words, but I like the phrase, 
I want you to hear with your heart. Mm. So I, can I tell you a story about that? Sure. Yeah. So I'm in airports a lot. And I was leaving from San Francisco, where I live, flying to Helena, Montana. Well, it used to take three planes to get there, but now it only takes two. And I was with an assistant who was going to help me with my teaching that I was going to do there. I go every summer to the Featherpipe Ranch in Helena, Montana, because I love it. And it was Friday and there was a lot of people and the things were delayed. And I we finally got up to speak to the woman behind the the counter at our gate. And she said, it looks like you're going to miss your connection in Denver. And you need to know for this story is that right before there, I had stopped at the store and bought a small hand cream, this great uh, brand of hand cream that I really like. And a flight attendant turned me on to it. It's really good. <clears throat> so, and I was going to take it to my friend in Montana. It was at the top part of my purse, just sitting there. All right. So, and she she was helping us and click, 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 you know. And she said, uh, do you need to go to Denver? We said, no, we just need to go to Helena. And if you can get our luggage there. And I have this, this uh, saying that I use all the time. It's either everyone is Buddha or no one is Buddha. And that yeah, helps Just me. about another minute, just so you know. All right, all right. So anyway, so what happened was, she was helping us and I, and I looked down at that hand cream and I just had this urge to give it to her. So I gave it to her with both hands and I said, and I want to shake your hand because, you know, she really helped us and I was really present with her and I appreciated her. And she said, I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm going to hug you. So she comes around the thing and hugs us. And the man behind me says, what is going on up there? <laughs> and this is how speech treating her with respect with my speech, appreciating her, not necessarily giving her the gift, which just flowed. This is how it changes the world. Tell people what they've done or said that you appreciate. So Laurel, I want you to hear with your heart how much I appreciate not only this time I've had to spend with you and how I've enjoyed it, but also the work you do behind the scenes that your whole life is pointed in the direction of serving others and helping others find their true nature. And I I want to acknowledge and appreciate that with gratitude. Well, how lovely, <clears throat> how really lovely. And as we have come to the end of our time together, I know you had a little something you wanted to do. So why don't you go do that? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> I would like to just <clears throat> close us off with this ringing of the bells three times, sacred number of three. And then I have a, a quote of mine I'd like to share as a last thought. So go to the center of your brain, the geographic center of your brain. Release the root of your tongue and listen. Here's your quote. We think life is strong and love is fragile, but really it's the other way around. Life hangs by a thread and love holds the universe together. Mm.
May we live like the lotus at home in the muddy water. Namaste. Thank you all so much for your kind attention. What a lovely way to end our conversation. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the Yoga Hour. My guest today has been Judith Hansen Lassiter. You can find out more about Judith at her website of her name, judithhansenlassiter.com. And the link to her website will be on our website at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Judith Hansen Lassiter, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. My pleasure. For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, there's daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, in the afternoon at 4 p.m., and on Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. We also offer a Sunday satsang. The word satsang means a gathering of truth seekers. That's at 10 a.m. Pacific Sunday each week. Join us for the next online course that the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment is offering, Living the Eternal Way. It's an online video course that explains the principles of the perennial philosophy and the practices of the eternal way. There's also an accompanying six-week online Zoom, Living the Eternal Way study and practice course that begins October 11th and goes to November 15th. These once-a-week sessions are meant to support you as you take Yogacharya O'Brien's online Living the Eternal Way video course. In addition, there's an upcoming Living the Eternal Way meditation and spiritual retreat offered both online and in person. This is led by Yogacharya O'Brien and will run November 10th through the 12th, designed for those who have completed the six-week Live the Eternal Way online video course. You can find out more about these classes and events at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment by going to the website csecenter.org. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will once again be joined by Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien to discuss gratefulness and the path to freedom. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Sote. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you need. Bye now.